everyone, and welcome to Conversations at Olive, a podcast featuring everyday conversations around the life of Olive Baptist Church and its surrounding community. Today, I'm joined by Julie Doan, and we have two very special guests. We have uh, Robert and Misty Preston uh, to talk a little bit about their experiences with uh, foster care and adoption. So, Julie, go ahead and take it away. Thanks, Travis. Thank you guys for joining me on this podcast this morning. Our pleasure. Thanks for asking us. Well, why don't you guys introduce yourselves just a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your family. So for those those people who don't know you guys well. Sure. Um, Misty and Robert Preston, we have been foster parents for three years, going on four. Um, We have been members at all of about seven years, going on eight years. So... um, just a quick note on how we got started into foster care and adoption. We were um, we weren't having issues conceiving and getting pregnant, but we were having some problems with being able to keep our pregnancies. So before we actually had children, we decided, you know, the Lord laid it on our hearts to um, possibly foster and adopt as something that we had always wanted to do. So we went ahead and took our classes and uh, went through that whole process before we had children. And I think our very last fostering class to receive our license we had found out that we were pregnant um so we went ahead and finished up did part of our paperwork and the classes were good for five years so we just kind of put it on a shelf for a while and then two kids and a couple of years later we um, have some good friends that actually go to all of the hootens and they had our son jeremiah at the time and he was their seventh child and he came um, into care, never having been in a crib, never really um, having had any personal hygiene done for him. So he was he was kind of a rough placement just because he was just going to take a lot of effort um, and a lot of pouring into, which is fine. But they were kind of maxed out at that point. And we met him actually at my daughter's birthday party. And we were like, well, you know, we are close to being foster parents. We just need to renew our our license and finish that up. So could we possibly take him and help out? And um, the rest is kind of history. He came to live with us and the Hootons did an amazing job with him. And we were able to just kind of pick up um, and split time with them. He lived with them for a few days out of the week and then he'd come to us for a few days until our license was active. And then we were able to take him on full time. And then his adoption was final a little over a year ago. So we now are up to seven kids. A couple of them are biological. Some of them are adopted. I kind of forget which ones at this point. <laughs> um, we're working towards adopting a teenager um, who is 14 currently and possibly one more. And two of the children in our home are being adopted by family members. So we're waiting on that all to be final as well. So lots of moving pieces, but that's kind of where we are now. That's a lot. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, Robert Preston. And uh, so just to kind of recap, we have a 14-year-old, a 7-year-old, a 5-year-old. Two 4-year-olds. Two 4-year-olds. And a 2-year-old. And a 2-year-old. They're yeah. all kind of the same age, it feels like. No, two 5-year-olds, two 4-year-olds, and a 2-year-old. and a, Yeah. No, Jeremiah's not 5 yet. January. We'll edit that out. Wow. We'll figure that out. Well, when I was over at your house, it was like a ball of children, yes. you know, just they're all interacting and 
yeah. wrestling and, and, and some yeah. of them are getting in trouble. Some of them are doing well. They yeah. all just want everyone's attention at the same time. That's yeah. fun. <laughs> That's a lot. Of, so did you guys have any experience with fostering and adoption before you took this step? No, not really. Um, I think uh, I remember just a little bit when I was a very young kid. My parents, uh, we lived in upstate New York, and I think they had a pro- program called Fresh Air. And uh, that would take some of the inner city kids, and they would come stay with us for like a weekend or two because we lived on a farm out in the country. But I think that was really my only experience there with uh, living with other people's children. And now we've come full circle and have a farm with yep. – Two of everything. It's kind of like Noah's Ark at the moment. We have two horses, two cows, just acquired two cats, which I had to chase out of my house three times this morning. Um, two ducks, two chickens. Got a little bit of everything, but still just one dog. So so did you guys get any pushback from your community or your family when you said, hey, this is what we think we're going to do? I'll have missed the answer to that one so I, don't, so, I, so I don't get in trouble. Put me on the spot, and I'll put my parents on the spot for this, but they'll just have to forgive me later. Um, we did get a little bit of flack. Um, initially, there's always the questions, how is this going to impact your current children? Um, do you really want to bring all of the the drama and the government um, influence into your home? Um, so, yeah, there were people that questioned us, and there were – Folks that kind of thought we were crazy, which we are. We have fully embraced that title, which is fine. Um, so, yeah, and we were a little bit worried, but we honestly just felt like this was something we were supposed to do. I was always really big on international missions and and kids, and it was always an international focus. And this kind of brought me into, you know, we have our children currently. I can't travel and do as much as I, as I used to. So I wanted to be able to do what we could where we are with what we have. Um so I just kind of stuck to that. And I said, listen, this is just a decision that we have made. And come what may, the Lord will provide us and equip us for it. And whatever we face, we'll walk through it. And, you know, we just feel like this is something we need to do. And they were okay. And everybody always wants to tell you horror stories of things that have happened to other families or kids that have come in with some significant trauma. And it's like, well, you know, but they're worthy of love as well. So we've done it. And now looking back, I don't think our I mean, our family members that were somewhat, I don't want to say they were opposed, but they just were concerned, um, are now like we wouldn't want it any other way. Like they love all these children just like their own. Um, They go and spend holidays. They go and spend time with them. You know, we spent weekends and, you know, three, four days at a time where they'll take all the kids, bio, foster, whatever the case is, and they'll go and take them and take trips with them. So it's it's been really cool to see just how the family has embraced it and has loved them and have come back to say, you know, this is the best decision. And our children, our biological children, are so much better for it. They are so much more compassionate and so much more caring, even than I am some days when I'm just kind of fed up and I'm like, I don't, I can't deal with this right now. The other kids will come in and you know, give hugs or a pat on the back or say, I'll play with you or whatever the case is. So it's been really good for them to think outside of themselves and to care about others. And there's, you know, no better way for them to be able to do that to, than to bring in other kids. Yep. I, <laughs> I noticed that too. My um, family kind of was questioning us about adoption, my husband's family especially, 
and um and we do worry you yeah. know i think we just don't understand the nature of love in some regards you know how how it expands it's not a limited yes. quantity you know there's not a limited quantity yeah i think one of the better analogies you know we were just discussing this a few days ago was when we had our first daughter and then we were um we had remington our second biological son and you know one of our really ignorant questions was can we still love another kid just like we love this first one you know now looking back and any parent who has multiple children you know realizes looking backwards how dumb of a question that is and uh you know ultimately i think the same happens in foster care and adoption it's like you have that concern of can i love them the same can i love them as much do i have enough um of whatever and uh just i think the same thing happens with your biological kids as you have more of them it's not, it just becomes a dumb question, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love. <clears throat> love is not a limited limited resource. So what have you guys learned about you, yourselves, through this family that you have? Sure. So, um, and I've, I've had this discussion with a lot of close friends, you know, just to, to be very honest, I think uh, fostering and adopting um, really brings out your character flaws in, in a lot of ways. And, and maybe that's why people are um, uh, initially hesitant to get into it is because maybe they're scared to learn about themselves, you know? And so, um, you know, for me was probably, you know, how maybe selfish I was um, with with my time or how much I, um, you know, needed to, or thought I needed to have my own space and my own stuff and, and that type of thing, you know? Yeah, I still do enjoy, you know, some, some quiet time, you know, two to three minutes a day is some excellent quiet time that we have. Uh, so, but, um, I think for me, you know, just the Lord used fostering, adopting, uh, to kind of root out a lot of, uh, self-centeredness and some selfishness in the process. Absolutely. I think that nothing brings out the sin in you, like raising other sinners, and it, and it brings out things from your childhood and your past and how you were raised and some trauma that you've been through. So you try to be sympathetic. But a lot of times I catch myself like thinking, OK, well, this happened to you and you were able to deal with it and move on. So you want to project that onto your kids like when they get upset about something. It's like, well, just because you dealt with it this way doesn't mean that they necessarily need to deal with it that way. So that's something that I'm always catching myself on. Um, but, yeah, you deal with bitterness and resentment and like I'm not a patient person by nature and I'm not a very gentle person by nature and it's just something that we've been talking about the fruits of the spirit a lot the kids have been talking about it at school and there's nothing like your kids coming home and saying you know gentleness patience kindness loving I mean it's just like okay I get it guys I appreciate it I'm really trying here but there are times where you stumble and you fall and you have to call it for what it is and repent and and move on and try again the next day. Like every day I, I wake up I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this different. I'm going to do this different. And you still catch yourself falling into the same patterns. But it's really been eye-opening because how else will God groom me and how else is he going to use me if he's not constantly calling me out on my own sin? It's like you see how your kids react to certain things, but you react the same way. So it's just it's very humbling. And it's... It's hard, and this whole sanctification process is 
Pretty exactly. Brutal. Yeah. Who knew that our kids would sanctify us? <laughs> God. <laughs> like, like I thought I was going to raise kids, and I didn't realize that they were going to sanctify me in the process. Oh, yeah. It's definitely. <laughs> they raise you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely a two way street. Um, so, what have you guys learned about God and the church through this whole thing that you guys are walking through? Ooh, I think we touched on it quite a bit there, not the last last question, but um, you know, so we adopted Jeremiah October twenty second last year, um, so a little bit over a year ago, and just remember that whole court hearing stuff, and and when the judge said, you know, he, he judged asked Missy and I, it's like, hey, do you guys accept this little boy as your son? And we said yes, you know, and and. He, the, the gavel came down and and it was um, I think one of the better illustrations and visualization of what uh, what it truly happens when we accept Christ right that we we move from being an outsider we move from being um, not part of the family and then to immediately 100% part of a family 100% part of that heritage and lineage and inheritance and all the other stuff. Um, and so, you know, you read about the, the idea of being adopted sons and fathers and, and uh, co-heirs with Christ. Uh, when you are in fostering or through an adoption, I don't know, it just seems like a much more powerful, uh, tangible illustration of, of what that means to be part of the body of Christ. And so... That's that's the part that stood out to me. I think most of this, you know, then you have the, the sanctification process that Misty was referring to, which means uh, means you know being convicted a lot, right? Um, and so that's there. And then you know from the church body, you know, having um, our immediate family is not here, so um, we are we were a military family, now we're just a family here. But so we don't have a lot of immediate family, but you know we have a lot of really good close friends and they're virtually all part of the church and so um you know i think we had 30 or 40 people show up at the adoption and and anytime that there's a need from either whether it's clothes or car seats or whatever you know misty puts a post up on facebook and that's delivered in a couple hours and, and conversely you know we we like to do it so uh, that has become our family here in pensacola is the the church body um, I think, I mean, that's a perfect illustration. And I think just um, a father's love, um, you know, you read about it in the in the Bible and it's constantly, you know, he's the Lord is a perfect and good father and sets the ultimate example for the rest of us to follow. So I think just his um, compassion and the way he repeatedly loves us without condition, um, you know, you just have to to wake up every morning and make the choice to love um, because he's commanded us to do it and he's shown us how to do that. So I just, I've learned more about God just by being humbled and by constantly praying, Lord, show me the way. How do I deal with this situation? And I think my reliance has grown on him tremendously because you, you get to a certain point, and I know other foster parents will attest to this, where you're just completely out of your element um, and you don't even know how you're going to handle all of the things from day to day. So I think just reliance on him and calling upon his strength because we just want to 
control it and do it ourselves. Like we're so self-reliant. So I think I've just grown in, in my reliance on him. Um, and just realizing, you know, he loves me when I mess up, just like these children do. So I need to be more patient with him because he, or with this child or whatever the case is, because his patience for me is, is endless. So I think that really kind of sums it, sums it up. So, um, what have you guys learned or dealing with the foster care system? What has been some of the, um, some of the things that you guys have kind of come up against with just being part of this, you know, thing that foster care. Sure. Um, I think the biggest thing that foster parents and adoptive parents need to know is that you are going to have to be this child's advocate. The, the system is not, the system was created to help find homes for these kids. So a lot of times it, it kind of becomes a numbers game where, okay, we got to get these kids in these homes. And a lot of times they just end up in these homes and the adoption process can be difficult because there's so many kids needing homes that the system cannot keep up with finding placement. So you've really got to be the one to kind of just do a gut check and say, listen, are we the right forever home for this child? And then take it upon yourselves to try and if the answer to that question is no, to try and find the next step for the child or, or be an advocate for them and have them in your home. But you've got to be the one to seek out services. You've got to be the one to make the doctor's appointments and drive them around and initiate visits with siblings or biological parents. So it's a lot um, to take on. And I think you cannot be reliant on the system, especially if you want to instill godly values, um, if you want to instill in them what you practice and preach in your own home, you've got to be the one to do that. You need to um, partner with your church, partner with friends, but the the state isn't going to do that for you. So I think even when you get in front of the judges or the guardian ad litems, you've really got to say, hey, listen, this is what's going on. These are things that I've seen. These are some ways to correct them. This is what I'm going to do. And you kind of have to do it and ask for forgiveness later. Um, so to speak, and then you kind of give them the updates and versus them coming to you and saying, oh, this kid needs this or this kid needs this. That's not really how it works. Um, but there's tons of resources out there and you've really got to be the voice for these kids or else they just kind of get lost in a system where um, no one's really truly advocating for them and helping make lifelong differences for them versus just a temporary band-aid getting them in a home and getting them a bed for the night. Yes, that is important. And yes, more homes are needed and quality homes where these children are actually gonna be fed spiritually and um, literally. So it's just, you're always kind of fighting against the world kind of pushing in. Um, you have to just stand firm and say, no, this is what's right for this child. And it takes time. Like you're not gonna know immediately. You have to stay the course. It's there have been situations where I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to do this. Why have we even gotten into this? But I kind of think for us about the six month mark is when things start moving and shaking and you see this child kind of settle in and finally realize, okay, I'm safe. So I really think stability and just kind of gritting your teeth and bearing through things and then advocating. What about bio, bio, bio parents? So we have got this child in your care. They've been removed from their home. Um, and then and then they're still part of the picture, but they're not. So how do you guys deal with 
with that? I mean, honestly, a lot of our cases and children, um, there hasn't been a whole lot, you know. And so, sadly, you know, there's a few of them, but they're just so in such a bad situation. Um, you know, we've had several several kids, right? That they're just they're just not present at all. Um, and then, you know, we we have had situations where where you have the weekly or monthly or biweekly, whatever the visits are. Um, and uh, that, it, I mean, it's tough, right? Because a couple of things are happening there. Um, the, you have the interaction and you got to coordinate it. And so you have the logistics side of it. And then you have kind of the post visit fallout, right? Which is uh, um, usually some type of behavioral type thing that takes a few days to everyone to get back on the same game plan and same stuff. And, and, uh, and then honestly, it just sort of gets emotionally draining all the time to have to read and learn all the stories and situations and things that the, the parents did or did not do. Um, so that's, that's a tough side of it. I think on a positive note, you know, we've had a couple little boys that live with us, had family visits and either went to grandparents or, or another adoptive family, you know, and, and then got to see the, the progression from where they started to where they ended up, you know, both, both the child and the, um, the grandparents or whatnot in, you know, so they, they now come to church occasionally with us still, and we still communicate and see that, uh, boys, uh, grow up you know, see his life grow up and, and progress. So that's a very rewarding thing to, you know, see the, see the starting point to, and see where they're going now. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, but huge opportunity. So you can change an individual's life. You can help change a family's life, parent's life. And, and, uh, we've had a little success, I would say in, and showing respect, I think, to the parents and communicating with them when virtually everyone else in their life is not. And you would think that, and you know, they, they are obviously very, hopefully hurt a little bit, um, but in self-conscious, you know, when they meet you and you're taking care of their kids and they're embarrassed and all that stuff. Um, and so I think that's, we've had some, some neat moments where, they just would kind of break down crying, like, why are you being nice to me? Um, so kind of kind of different. Maybe Misty's perspective is slightly different on that. But No, I think that's great. Um, it's, it's a great example of being able to show Christ's love and really throwing down your walls and your, your fences you might have up because you don't, like you have this child and you, you know the things that have happened to them and you don't, necessarily want to love the the biological parents it's it's hard because it's from where i sit you know i've I've, the lord has blessed me tremendously and it could have so many times gone a different way for me um but the lord you know has has protected me and it's like my life could have easily been been like this i could i could have taken a different path so you kind of have to just keep an open mind um you do have to protect the child there have been situations where i'm like okay i'm, I'm not going to have contact with this person anymore and these are the reasons why um just goes back to that advocacy thing but i think 
you know, it's a great opportunity for you to truly love someone that's not like you. Um, A lot of times we get in our bubble and we converse with like-minded people. We hang out with like-minded people. You know, we want to hang out with our friends, but it's an opportunity for you to get out of your comfort zone and truly grow by embracing this person and loving them, even when it's, it's hard and difficult. And we have been in public and people have come for visits and we get so many looks. Like, our family doesn't match. Like, mm-hmm. people try to figure us out. I really want to get a T-shirt that says, stop trying to figure it out. <laughs> because when people see us, Me like, too. the looks. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. the look in their faces. And it's like, you just smile. And it's like, go ahead and ask me. I'll be glad to tell you. But stop looking at me like that. But, um, yeah. so, yeah, and we've been out in public, you know, with our crew. And then there was a Halloween where we went trick-or-treating with one child's biological mom. I mean, and it was, and we went kind of in a, you know, a neighborhood downtown was a little bit nicer and it was, you know, it was awkward, but it's, it's an opportunity for people to, to ask questions and to be exposed because exposure is such a big thing. So yeah, it's, it's hard because your kids have questions and then they want to question the foster child that's in your, your care. So you have to be very careful and I say the wrong thing sometimes. And, um, you know, all of our children know their biological parents' names and they'll, well, some of them know their biological parents' names. But um, so you still, and it still comes up, like even after they're adopted. So you just have to, it's a constant thing. But I think you've really just got to embrace the awkward. There's another t-shirt, embrace the awkward. There you there go. You go. <laughs> t-shirt line. <laughs> so um, do you guys have any like funny, weird questions, life hacks? with fostering and adopting that, you know, like, I wish I would have known this, or this was the funniest question somebody asked me, or something. Uh, Missy probably tell it better, but um, I think she's had a couple interesting questions from doctors about our genetics and stuff <laughs> while, yeah. while, uh, while they're treating one of our foster kids who is quite obviously not in our that does not have our genes, you know, and they're asking about our um, family history history and heart diseases and tooth, you know, what is your dental history? Like, as it, like it would be medically pertinent to, so that was kind of an entertaining, you know, a doctor not really thinking through what he's saying and doing. Um, That was pretty good. I do have one life hack. Um, We had five kids at the time and I had to, we actually had a a son that needed a urology appointment, which is awkward enough. Oh, so fun. (laughs) And he was out of town. I don't even remember what the situation was. Our sitter couldn't come. So I took five children under the age of five to Sacred Heart Hospital. And I thought I had packed the stroller. And we had a child that was a runner at the time. I'm not going to say his name, but if y'all know us, you know exactly who I'm talking about. He was a runner and I like get to the hospital and kind of freak out. I'm like, I don't, and I think Remy was like two at the time and was kind of rambunctious as well. And so I get to the hospital, realize I didn't have the double stroller and I kind of panic. I'm like, you know what? We can do this. It's, it's fine. Um, so I'll tell the rest of the story, but the life hack is always keep a stroller in your car. Don't ever think for one second that you have prepared adequately, always over prepare Always have snacks and a stroller in your car. Amen. So, yes, snacks and a stroller are crucial. So we get to Sacred Heart Hospital, and the runner got on the elevator. As I was hurting up everyone else, 
and trying to figure out what floor I needed to be on. And he ended up on the ICU floor. A nurse found, I was like, I'm going to stay put because someone's going to find this child. They're going to come down to the first floor. It's going to be okay. And, you know, about five minutes, the longest five minutes of my life, I'm thinking, okay, I got to call the caseworker. Like, I got to deal with, I'm going to have to file an accident or an incident report. An ICU nurse brought him down. She's like, yeah, he was wandering around on the ICU floor. Here he is. And I was just like distraught. And at this point, I still had to go to the urology appointment for a child who would have to take his pants off in front of all of his siblings. And it was a disaster. So I think that's my only life hack right now is over-prepare. Snacks. Always Goldfish. Yes. Snacks in your car and just be prepared for yeah. the unexpected. Always. Even if you are over-prepared, like you're just... Sometimes it just sometimes you just life happens. Just, it's just, just gonna happens. get crazy. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Um, so how do you guys deal with seven children? Like what's your family like? What's your routine like? What does morning look like? Because you guys Great have to drive your kids today. to school too, right? Yes. Yeah. Maybe we're late sometimes, right, Misty? <laughs> I was ten minutes late. I'm sorry. I texted Julie because I she knew did. <laughs> so we acquired these cats, and the kids kept bringing the cats in the house. They're supposed to be outside barn cats, and the cats ended up in my house. Three times this morning, I was chasing cats and kids around the house. Yep. We need more animals. <laughs> um, so I take uh, five kids. Yep, I take five kids to school, drop them off. Uh, Misty gets them all ready. I take them to school, drop them off, and I go to work, and then Misty takes on a couple of days to the other two, occasionally the KDO. And then she'll come down at some point in the day and we'll switch vehicles. So we got a 12 passenger van. So we'll switch vehicles. And then usually she picks up all the kids in the afternoon and brings them home. And then, then I get home and then we eat and they run out around outside. And then we I think bedtime takes about an hour usually between depending on if it's bath night or not. Bath yeah. night, we're like looking at an hour and a half, two hours. But yeah, we get up. The kids have gotten pretty good at, with some prompting and pleading yeah. from my part to get up. They get better. Get downstairs, get get breakfast, and he dressed. And it's always a mad shuffle to make sure everybody's hair is done. Like, that's just like, I spend so much time on hair. Um, and then get them loaded, get them loaded in the car and... Yeah, Bob takes half of them, and then we have to figure out a game plan to meet up because we can't fit. We have six car seats in the car. No, we have plenty of car seats. It's just we don't have two vehicles. Right, that hold 12 but people. I can only fit two to three children in your car, yes. so we have to swap out. So every day, yeah. like every night before we go to sleep, like, okay, what's tomorrow look like? What's our game plan for tomorrow? So you just have to have to game plan well. And then we get home and out, and it gets dark at 5 o'clock. I'm like, y'all go outside. Go outside. Don't come in the house play outside for at least an hour, hour and a half. We feed up, feed all the animals. And then I come in, I feed all the kids and then homework. And the homework dinner hour is just, it's hard. I don't care how many kids you have. You're trying to cook dinner. You've got everybody that needs specific help on homework. And it's just, and by that time of the day, you're kind of done. Like you're just like, okay, but you still have hours to go. Yeah. So as long as you can get over the dinner hump and then you're on the downhill slide after that but yeah it's it's a little crazy everybody I mean, can put their own pants on now that's good that's great well yeah. kind of italy still i mean it is hard she's, she's, she's tiny she's two so she's it, tiny. i mean it's hard but it's not like 
I don't know. I, I just think like everything else in life, once you do it a few days, a few weeks, you, you adapt and it just becomes normal, you know? So that just is you just life. and overcome. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun. That would I mean, be a good t-shirt too. Adjust and overcome. Yeah. <laughs> so um, oh, one of these things, I know, <laughs> one of these things um, I always had to remind myself was this is a season and this will not be like, this isn't going to last forever. Like someday they'll be a little bit older <laughs> yeah. and a little bit more able to take care of themselves. Um, so any last parting words of, of wisdom or encouragement for our listeners? Well, um, sure. I think, you know, you've probably heard us say it many times so far, you know, last 30 minutes is it's hard. Um, and it is no doubt. Uh, but it is number one is the Lord commands us to, right. To take care of the widows and orphans. So it's pretty specific and pretty, um, poignant. It's not like something you get to decide, well, maybe the Lord's speaking to me about this. And, and to be very honest, you know, we get, we get kind of tired of that church answer. Like, oh, we're thinking about doing foster care. We're thinking about adopting him. We're really praying about it. See if the Lord's speaking to us about it. And I understand it's not, uh, yes, it is a huge decision. Definitely pray about it. But it's, it's also pretty simple, easy commandment, right? And, uh, if there's a need, um, we, we, we should try to meet it. And there's a, there's a massive, there's a huge need, you know, especially a Scambia, Santa Rosa, Walton counties, um, you know, and so, uh, so that's there. And then there, from our experience, uh, again, to be kind of fully transparent, there's two types of foster homes, right? There's, there's survival foster homes and they're there to feed the kids and give them a safe place to live in and just maintain whatever it is. They're, they're providing subsistence. Um, and then there's homes that we see that there's where they're homes that they thrive in, right? And they become part of the family and they go on the family vacations and they do that and they get, they have foster parents that are advocating. And a lot of those, those families are in this church, you know? Um, and so even, even inside of itself, foster care, there's a need for families um, that truly uh, take that uh, good Samaritan approach in the sense that it's more than just saying, yes, I'll help you, or yes, there's a need. It's, it's living out that life. Um, and, you know, we're far from perfect. Uh, we struggle with it every day. Um, on the flip side, we've been, I would say, immensely rewarded in many, many different ways in our lives um, for, because we're at least obeying one, one thing the Lord told us to do. Uh, to our best of it, we're, we're at least doing that, right? And, uh, and <coughs> it's, I don't know, what better thing can you, can you do than to um, save a child and rescue them and um, do the Lord just renew them, restore them, and maybe make a better human down the road. And, and we had uh, one of our foster kids accept Christ as their Savior within the last few weeks. You know, like, hey, that's a win for the rest of our life um, and for her life. And, and who knows what the consequences of that will be down the road. Um, so it's hard, uh, but it shouldn't be an excuse. It really just shouldn't. Um, it's, it's immensely rewarding, and there's a part for everyone in this. Sure.
I mean, everybody talks about it being hard, but you really have to choose your hard. You know, no matter what you do, it's, it's not guaranteed to be easy. You know, having to go to work every day and be away from your family is hard. Or having, you know, situations in your own home that you're dealing with anyway is hard. So you really just choose. Um, and you have to choose the right attitude and the right approach. And that's something that we have to check ourselves on as well. So, and um, like Bob was saying, it is immensely rewarding. Like you literally change the trajectory of some of these children's lives and sometimes their entire family's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see a kid who is, you know, five years old and he can't form a complete sentence and he can't put his pants on and when he leaves, you see him as like a thriving child who can can count and add and is doing well in school and enjoys, you know, being around other kids when at first they're so guarded and angry and they just, they literally can't function. So being able to see that and just have a small part of that. And that's not us. Like it's all the Lord. Like we're just providing the stability and and just the basics that they need really. So it's it's not, it's not hard in the sense of big, huge leaps and bounds and gains and growth. It's just providing, just being there. Um, these kids come from so much chaos that just, you know, and our lives are chaotic, but it's not anything like what they have seen or have come out of. So it, it, it is rewarding. And it's, these kids love you. Like this, there's this one child every night. She's like, mommy, I just, I love you so much. And I say, okay, maybe I love you too so much. Said, yeah, but I love you more. And it's just like, okay. Um, they really truly just need someone to care and to just be a constant. So, yeah, it's hard, but it's also beautiful. Like, it, it really is. These children, and just to see the way our family has grown is beautiful as well, just outside of just the kids that come and go. You know, you see great things happening in them. And, you know, the two-year-old we have right now, she lays in bed and prays at night. Everybody gets their turn to pray, and it is the sweetest just, and, y'all, she is wild. She is like 10 kids wrapped in one. And by the end of the day, I'm just like, Lord, thank you. But then you hear her laying in bed and praying. And she'll say, thank you, Mommy. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you for food. Like, it's just the sweetest thing. And it helps give you what you need to just keep going. And when you see these kids come to know Christ, who come in, they don't even know Jesus loves me. You know, we take that for mm-hmm. granted. Like, all of our kids sing. Like, our kids sing all the time. It's beautiful and annoying, but it's it's beautiful. I try to focus on that because they're constantly seeing kind of the same thing over and over and over, which is, <laughs> you know, great. Just hone it in because that liturgy is, is great. They need that that doctrine. But um, it's just awesome to see kids who didn't even know what prayer was or didn't even know who Jesus was come in and they are learning Bible verses at school. And yeah. they, it's just, it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I see that God shows up on the hard things, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's that's where we see him the most is when it's when it's hard. Um, so I have one last question, mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to do a shameless plug for my thing. But have you guys had kids show up to your house and with a garbage bag with their stuff in it? Yeah, garbage bags. Almost every time. Old ready backpacks. What else? One kid showed up with literally a pair of shorts. Nothing. That yeah, were, he, nothing. Had, he had nothing. He stayed no, no in underwear. a home the oh, night Lord. before he came to us. And he came with a T-shirt that was an adult large and some shorts that were like 18 sizes too big, no underwear. Oh. He did have some shoes that he brought with him from his home. 
Yeah. That had to go immediately into the trash. We had to soak soak his poor little feet for cardboard boxes. Yeah. It's it's not good. Yeah. Yeah. So um Olive Baptist Church is selling Christmas tree ornaments uh, in support of an organization called Bags of Hope. And Bags of Hope provides foster kids with a monogrammed high quality duffel bag uh, with their own names on it. And it, and inside they have comfort items for the kids. You can find that information on uh, olivebaptist.org, the events page. Just go down to the Bags of Hope Christmas Tree Ornaments, and you can purchase that to help a child in foster care uh, receive a bag. You can pick up your ornament at the office. Uh, your ornament will have a name and the age of a child in foster care. What we really want to encourage our listeners to do is buy one of those ornaments and pray for that child because we know prayer works. Amen. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, the you'd be amazed as to what kids hang on to for any type of stability. Like we've had one kid want to hang on to birthday cake. Oh, wow. That her mom gave her, right? Um, for weeks. So uh, just giving them anything that has their name on it that belongs to them is, that's a really cool gift. Thanks for doing it. Wow. Awesome. Thank you. And Thanks, the ornament guys. you can have on your tree every year, and it's yes. a reminder to pray for that pray child. Pray for that child. Every year during that season as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for coming. I really appreciate your honesty and your your candidness and and sharing your life with us. Um, Thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you guys so much for everything you do. Like just very, very cool stuff. Thank you. Uh, And for the rest of you guys, thank you for listening. Uh, We'll link down the show notes to the Bags of Hope ministry that Julie talked about, and we'll see you for the next Conversation at Olive.